0: Inclusion of smallholders in value chains and markets is a must for improving their food and nutrition security, right? It seems like a fair assumption, but is this actually dangerous? I'm Andy Clark and you're listening to a new podcast series from WATRO, the Science for Global Development division of the Dutch Research Council. And yes, the series is called Dangerous Assumptions. In each podcast, we challenge a deeply held belief underpinning research projects in the food and nutrition security sector. Insights from 75 research projects carried out in 27 low- and middle-income countries, and they reveal the complexity of contemporary development issues. In the second episode, we go to Kenya and hear the very different perspectives from a researcher, a policymaker and a businesswoman who all work in the food sector. And even more importantly, they've all been involved in one or more of the 75 research projects. It sounds like rain, but what you're hearing are black soldier fly larvae. The flies are being produced to make animal feed.
1: This has uh, gone a long way to create um, new business ventures, and as well as job creation. For the smallholder farmers, I am Tangambi Santos. I work as a research scientist um, with the International Center of Insect Physiology and Ecology, based here in Nairobi, Kenya. I work with the Department for Insect for Food, Feed, and Other Uses here at the institution.
0: The ongoing synthesis study of the research conducted in 27 countries tells us that including smallholders in value chains does not mean their food and nutrition security can be taken for granted. In fact, inclusion in formal value chains brings with it considerable risks. Farmers become dependent on decisions made by more powerful actors in the chain, for example buyers and processors. They can become vulnerable to external market shocks and market volatility. Some projects showed that smallholders' food security could even be negatively impacted by value chain inclusion. For instance, due to a shift from cultivating food crops for household consumption to cash crops produced solely for the market. But research scientist Chrysanthus Tanga points to evidence that the type of value chain that smallholders are introduced to matters. Their Black Soldier Fly project introduced in Kenya a farmer-centred value chain approach that relieves some of the market pressures that smallholders involved in pig farming, poultry or fisheries are facing. Dr. Tanga's project encouraged smallholders to become more autonomous by producing their own farm input, rather than being dependent on costly products sold by middlemen.
1: The interesting thing in this project is that um, we got into a system whereby the farmers themselves were already carrying on existing um, enterprises like the, rearing the chicken, um, pigs or fish. So bringing in um, the insect-based technology was an additional benefit to them, especially in uh, providing the available protein that they need. Um, here in Kenya, the, the main protein source, which is um, called Omena, comes from Western Kenya. That means for people to get this um, protein source, it has the, the, the transportation itself from Western Kenya to, to Central Kenya is a very, very long process and it takes a lot of time. And so that gap has created a lot of scarcity, has increased, uh, doubled the price, and also keeps farmer in a very desperate um, uh, position. After carrying out our on-station trials, we realized that um, replacing the expensive fish meal uh, with insect-based feeds, the cost of of, uh, production was reduced by 25%, which is a clear indication of improved profitability for the smallholder farmers.
0: The Black Soldier Fly project created an entirely new value chain for the smallholder farmers. They were introduced to methods to rear insects on organic farm waste that normally is discarded. The insects can either be used directly as feed for their own chicken and pigs, but the ambition is that farmers produce insects at a large scale for the animal feed market. Introducing this new production method is based on a circular economic model with sustainability at its core. This is the key to its success, according to the academic, and he says the impact for the smallholders has been significant and has had a positive impact on food and nutrition security. For example, apart from increasing income, switching to insect-based feed has freed up food previously used to feed animals.
1: Uh, you are free- um, both the the fish and the and the maize that goes back to um to household household food um uh, supply that which now to us is a very very good uh, huge impact especially for, especially for smallholder farmers who are actually the vulnerable population in terms of this uh, crisis of uh, food insecurity.
0: The project highlights, and this was confirmed in other projects covered by the synthesis study, that value chains can benefit the food and nutrition security of smallholders but only if their needs, limitations and capabilities are taken into account. Or, to put it differently, alternative approaches, such as promoted by the Insect-based Feed Project, show that there are three key aspects that need to be carefully considered when connecting farmers to markets, and those are the accessibility, affordability and availability of the associated innovative processes and technologies. When this so-called triple A is taken into account, a farmer-centered value chain approach, the insect feed project showed, can pay dividends. In this case, not only increasing income and freeing up food, but also reducing costs.
1: More than 80% of the poultry, uh, fish and pig farmers were actually willing to buy this insect-based feed uh, product. And if you look at the context of Kenya, you can clearly you see that more than 70% of their uh, material used for in animal feeds are actually imported. So that means if we are able to to produce this locally, that will cut down on this importation cost and therefore making more money available to um, to the population that we have to save their food needs.
0: However, Dr. Tanga points out that this value chain integration doesn't happen overnight.
1: If you look at the Insect Farming right now, is still done in an informal uh, fashion. And, and we uh, are aiming to continue to, to build a value chain until when we will be able to attain the level at which it will be more um, recognized and embraced as a, as a formal sector for the, within the economy of the country. The value chain is not properly developed. Um, in the sense that you see, um, if you look at the Kenyan context, you find that um, they need close to 90,000 tons of uh, protein to be able to, to feed in into the, the feed industry. But this this amount of protein is not available. And we look at what the farmers in Kenya right now are producing is just about uh, close to 5% of insect protein. And that means the gap, there's still a very huge demand gap of this um, alternative protein source. and um, Which also means that Although uh, more than 70% of the feed millers are so much interested in working with low-cost protein sources, the volume is not there to meet the demand. So most of the farmers still do do a lot of sales in very small scale, and have not yet been able to penetrate the bigger markets. So um, a lot of things, as I said, are still done in in an informal way. And, and there are other, a couple of other things that need to be strengthened, like the policy, create a policy environment that will allow the flexibility of this um, enterprise to flourish.
0: This policy environment received quite a lot of attention in the project, reflected in training of smallholders, collaboration with other institutions and especially the efforts made to obtain certification of the safety and quality of the novel insect-based animal feed.
1: And once we did um, all this, we had to establish safety protocols by making sure that we evaluate the microbial pathogens or toxins that could be found in these different feeds. And our whole idea was that we wanted to drive the prospects of certification of this product. And, and the last thing we had to do was, after having this product certified, we then had to work with the youths and women linking them to profitable markets, um, for example linking the feed companies and also to uh, financial institutions to make sure that this was the most sustainable and profitable venture for the the farmer community.
0: So when it comes to our assumption the inclusion of small holders in value chains and markets is a must for improving their food and nutrition security, Dr. Tanga sees great value in adopting a farmer-centred value chain approach.
1: Yeah, to me, it is, it is, um, it's very correct. It's a very, very good uh, assumption because we have seen how it has transformed the lives of so many farmers, especially during this COVID-19 um, uh, pandem- pa- pandemic, where um, there were a lot of travel restrictions. And as I said, um, there was, the people could not move out of Nairobi to western Kenya and so there was a lot of restriction in terms of uh, protein sources that animal, uh, farmers could use for their, for their animals. And so most of the smallholder farmers who were keeping, who were farming these insects, were jubilating every day because they had a ready um, available source of protein to give to their to their poultry.
0: This Kenyan research scientist thus emphasizes the importance of introducing value chains that meet the needs and opportunities of smallholders. Connecting farmers to markets just for the sake of it runs the risk of reinforcing dependencies. But overall, Dr. Tanga is very clear about his position, whether the assumption is dangerous or not.
1: No, it's not a dangerous assumption. It is a must. Um, The thing is, uh, within our context or the landscape of the continent, you can clearly see that more than 80% of the farmers involved in both um, in poultry, pig and fish farming are actually smallholder farmers. That means they are the larger community and these are the, um, the fastest uh, growing agri um, businesses uh, within the country. So to me, I think uh, inclusion of smallholder farmers in the value chain and market um, should be a must for, to improve food and security because the smallholder farmers are actually the backbone of this production system.
0: Now let's take a step back and consider the policy framework the Food and Business Research Programme was built on. For this we turn to Rose McKenzie, who works at the Netherlands Embassy in Nairobi. Rose brings in the perspective of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which co-funded the Food and Business Research Programme. In countries like Kenya, where research projects have been implemented, the embassies help to assess the relevance of the projects in light of the country's and the embassy's policy objectives on food and nutrition security.
2: My name is Rose Mackenzie and I work with the Dutch embassy here in Nairobi, Kenya on water and food security as a policy officer. I began working with the embassy um, since 2014.
0: The Dutch Food and Nutrition Security Policy, and thus the policymakers working for the Dutch Embassy in Kenya, make a distinction between two types of smallholders, the subsistence farmer and the entrepreneurial farmer, when it comes to deciding whether to support them to improve their inclusion in value chains and their access to markets. Rose helps us understand why this distinction was made.
2: I would say it starts with the mindset. So what we've seen is that... Um, the the smallholders the smallholder farmers and the farm the, the agricultural sector really um, has been perceived as a sector where people get into as a last resort so the subsystem farmers will be doing farming because it's a last resort they cannot get uh, a source of income from any other uh, activity and therefore they are left with uh, farming as the only activity that they can do, uh, that they can get a source of income or can sustain themselves in one way or another. What this then means is that they are not necessarily investing in their in their farm in the sense that they are looking out for good quality input. They are actively participating uh, in 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 the market in the market space to get the best bargain for their for their produce. So the the the. The agricultural produce that they get, some of this they consume at the household level and the surplus they uh, take to the market. And the monies that come out of this are basically channeled towards either education or meeting other other needs other than investing back to the farm. Now, an entrepreneurial farmer then is one who's got the mindset that I'm doing this farming as a business, which means then that uh, I will invest in it, I will I will get the the right input for for my farm i will i will I will source for market that gives me the best return uh, for my investment and I, I and for that you know I've basically equipped myself with uh, clear record keeping uh, for instance and the profits that I get from uh, engaging in this uh, in this way of farming is I plow it back into my farm and expand uh, my farming activities other than uh, taking this profit 100% and channeling it to either education or health or buying a new car or or buying a new house.
0: So with this distinction made, implementation can follow.
2: When I joined the embassy, we were on transition from aid to trade. We uh, sought to distinguish within the smallholder farmers who will be our specific uh, target group. So we, we have the subsystem farmers, and, and these ones we did not target because, of course, a lot of uh, aid support from other development partners were really targeting the subsistence farmers. And we zoomed in on the entrepreneurial farmers, those that were doing uh, farming as a business or had the potential to actually do farming as a business once uh, their capacity or awareness was built around uh, the whole concept of, 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 of being entrepreneurial as, as you do your farm activities. Uh, The purpose for having this kind of a distinction is because uh, we are moving from an aid relation to a trade relation where this farmer produces for both domestic and export market and can also, you know, uh, import uh, produce or technologies uh, also from the Netherlands.
0: It's clear that the embassies focus on supporting the entrepreneurial smallholders due to the Dutch government's trade rather than aid approach. This policy choice has implications for the vast majority of African subsistence farmers, whose food and nutrition security are the key concern of the research programme. Yet there's one policy area, Rose says, which also directly helps subsistence smallholders, and that is strengthening bargaining power by bringing the smallholders together in groups.
2: They have a better bargaining power if they are organised in groups, uh, for instance, uh, which uh, posi- positions them uh, in, a, in, a, in a better way than acting individually in this uh, value chain. So, overall ideally, uh, participating in a value chain should benefit the farmer by increasing their food security and nutrition. However, there are specifics in how they are getting involved in this value chain that could either undermine or actually strengthen that end goal.
0: The fact that many subsistence farmers have fallen into agriculture as a last resort after other attempts at earning a living have failed and the hand-to-mouth nature of their lives in general means they have very different capacities and attitudes towards farming than the entrepreneurial farmers, according to Rose. Dealing with these specific differences adds complexity when examining policies to improve food and nutrition security. So where does the policymaker stand on our assumption? Dangerous or not, in her view?
2: Well, I think what makes the assumption dangerous is the use of the word a must in the, in the assumption. So the inclusion of smallholders in value chains and markets is a must for improving their food and nutrition security. So this must, is, is, it's the turnkey, and for me it's what makes the assumption dangerous, especially if we are referring to at the household level
0: So it's at the level of the subsistence smallholders that the policymaker takes issue with our assumption. For the entrepreneurial smallholders, it's essential they get involved in value chains and this will help secure the food and nutrition security of the nation as a whole. But at the individual subsistence farmer level, this is not necessarily the case.
2: Now, with this assumption, my interpretation is that we are specifically uh, looking to their farmer level food and nutrition security. And I'm not sure whether then the must uh, is is really a thing for them to then become uh, food and nutrition secure, them getting involved in value chains because they are already growing uh, their food. So they don't necessarily then have to get into a value chain because if they're able to diversify their production and with a little bit of uh, value addition which does not necessarily require uh, it going up to the processor level then i'll debate whether it's really a must for them to get involved in the value chain
0: now that we've heard from a kenyan researcher and policy maker let's turn to a private sector perspective on our assumption which is essentially all about the business of farming.
3: Uh, my name is Margaret Comen. i co-founder and managing director of Mess Foods Limited, based in Eldoret, Kenya. Uh, Mess Foods Limited is a production and processing company specialised in spices and ethnic foods, both for export and domestic uh, uh, market. We are, the company was registered in January 2002, so we are... Just about 20 years old, uh, 18 to be precise.
0: The research project Margaret Komen worked on involved the production and marketing of indigenous vegetables.
3: We took part in uh, the project that was titled Systemic Approach to Overcoming Constraints of Production and Marketing of Indigenous Vegetables in Western Kenya. Uh, The project started in August 2014 and we finalised it in December 2017. The main uh, objective of the project was to try and understand the challenges that are influencing the production and market of uh, African indigenous vegetables in five counties in the western part of Kenya.
0: The project had a number of positive impacts for the smallholders.
3: Through the project, they were able to understand what are the best soils and uh, uh, fertility of, of the soils that are required to produce the best quality vegetables to increase their yields. They were able to, of course, increase the capacity that they're able to produce. This in turn also increased the consumption of vegetables by the farmers because after they've learned how to produce, they were able to consume these vegetables, meaning uh, nutritionally um, their well-being was improved through the the, the increased uh, consumption of the vegetables. Uh, We were also able to Increase the capacity of the farmers to work as associations and and therefore be able to market their products uh, in in groups and increase better prices. So reducing the brokerage institutions that had come in to interfere with the market access. Part of these vegetables were supplied to our processing facility and another part went into the local market because these are commonly consumed vegetables but in the past they were not readily available or sometimes if they were available not in the right quality not the right quantity and also the quality was really really poor.
0: And there are more benefits.
3: The farmers have been able to access the international market because we export the vegetables after processing them. Uh, they were able to reduce the post harvest vegetable losses to less than 50 percent. It was very very high in the, in the beginning of the project because they were not able to Manage the post harvest uh, uh, management was really, really poor. They have increased access, they had increased access to fertilizers that partly were f- farmhold manure that we trained them to compost their own manure, and others were able to access the conventional fertilizers from the veterinary shops. We also were able to link them now to the production systems and the agribusiness part of the business where they are able to understand that their products have a higher value and a higher market if they produce the best quality.
0: Working on the project also had a direct impact on nutrition as part of the marketing process of the indigenous vegetables an analysis was conducted of the nutritional content.
3: We were able to analyse in the beginning of the project what was the nutritional content of each of the vegetables which was very well documented. So in a detailed results-oriented report we were able to show that there was an increase in consumption and the availability of iron-based uh, nutrients in their food systems because of consumption of these vegetables. So there are several nutrients that they were able to access by increasing the consumption of these vegetables, which in the past was missing from their diet. So we had, when we say we had uh, an improved welfare, we mean holistically the farmers were consuming healthier, uh, more nutritious foods by increasing not only the production, but also the actual consumption at the household level.
0: Improved nutrition, increased access to domestic and international markets, it all sounds great, but does including smallholder farmers in the value chain make business sense? Is it viable?
3: Interesting question. <laughs> I'll, I'll start by giving you one of the missions that we have as a company. Although we are a commercially a for-profit for, for profit company, we have a very strong social and economic link. Uh, we, we would want that in whatever activity we do, we pay it back to the community. So based on that, the direct answer to your question is it is not viable from a business perspective, but it is fulfilling because it's, it actually feeds into our, our vision and mission. And, and very rewarding. For me myself, personally, as a co-founder of the business. Uh, we will probably never, ever stop working with small-scale farmers. Currently, the strategy we are using is to have a 50-50 approach. 50% of the production is done by small-scale farmers, and the other 50%, we do it with medium and large-scale farmers. And we are trying to also build into our own production, because we have to fulfill the demand in the market. Although, through the small-scale farmers, it is very expensive and much more difficult. But again, as I say, it is fulfilling from the vision and mission perspective of our business.
0: This commitment to having an inclusive economy and getting the smallholders into the value chains takes time and money, says Margaret, but she believes it's essential. This reality was emphasised by several research projects. While integrating smallholders in value chains might sound tempting, local, social and economic realities lead Margaret and private sector partners in other projects to question the viability of this ambition.
3: So if you ask them to produce uh, the African leafy vegetables from a purely commercial basis, they don't have even the, enough land to do that. They don't have the the technical capacity to, to move very fast into a commercial perspective. So you have to spend a lot of time to train them. And uh, nobody is rewarding the business for training these farmers. This is completely free service that we provide. And uh, this involves a lot of costs. There is a lot of logistic costs. There is a lot of technical costs. There is a lot of human resource. And of course, the time. So if you cost all this, you can't load this cost on the on the price of the product. Otherwise, if you load this cost on the price of the product, then you're no longer competitive.
0: But she says there are some markets which recognise this holistic approach.
3: If you have specific, specialised markets, like for example fair trade markets, that recognise the whole value chain, uh, right now we see a lot of buyers... Um, and a lot of markets want to really have a traceability system to understand how the product is coming in. And we've seen a lot of uh, the trend now is that people appreciate if the end product is feeding back into a value chain where we have part of the SDGs are being fulfilled through this product. So we have many, many companies and, and businesses that are buying from us that are really, really keen to see that this product is uh, improving the livelihoods of several people.
0: So what about the risks of becoming involved in new value chains and markets for the smallholders themselves? They are many and varied.
3: First and foremost, the biggest risk for the the small-scale farmers is the issue around climate change.
0: Alongside climate change, which is a huge and ever-changing risk, a constant flood of new products coming from a range of players including seed companies and research organisations is leading to a cluttered marketplace and creating confusion amongst farmers as to what to produce. And there's also the risk of soil depletion too, according to the businesswoman.
3: I think those are part of the risks that I can think I can, <laughs> yeah.
0: But that said, Margaret Coman is clear that for her, the benefits outweigh the risks. And when asked about our assumption, she's clear that for her, it's not dangerous.
3: It's not a dangerous assumption. Because if you, if you have a market-led production, then you have sustainability. But if they are only going to produce because it is something that they consume and there is nothing that is driving the whole value chain, then it's, you have immediately a breakage. So I think the inclusion of smallholder farmers to market-led production, where they have at least a, a commercial uh, objective at some point in the value chain, is, it's not a dangerous assumption. It's actually... I think it's it's an assumption that can be validated.
0: And as a final thought, the businesswoman says the indigenous vegetable project delivered a real eye-opener for her.
3: For for me in particular as as the leader of from the private sector and working with the research institution, for me what was the eye-opener was that there is so much that lies in research that is not necessarily uh, utilized at the farm level and at the processing level. So there's a lot of information and a lot of research and a lot of things that have been done in research institutions that are so useful for the farmers, for processors, and it's not available. This project for me was a clear indication that we need to integrate these three parties because there is so much being done in the research institutions and this information is not coming back to the the users. So this project for me was really the whole project, the whole the way it was designed to bring in the, the research institution, to bring in the farmers and us as the private sector was for me the best thing that ever happened because we were able to first and foremost expose the farmers to what the research instit- institutions have been doing for years and know and have the know-how on how to do it. We were also exposed to technologies that we did not know existed and we were able to Uh, passed these technologies to the farmers, and we saw a huge improvement in the way the whole process was was done. So for me, I I really wish this kind of tripartite uh, kind of partnerships can be, you know, encouraged and promoted much, much more.
0: So, when looking at our assumption this time around, inclusion of smallholders in value chains and markets is a must for improving their food and nutrition security, policymaker Rose McKenzie says yes, when it comes to securing the food and nutrition security of the country as a whole, but she questions whether this inclusion is essential for subsistence smallholders who are not the focus of the Dutch policy for improving food and nutrition security. In agreement with the assumption is businesswoman Margaret Coman. Inclusion in value chains is not controversial, but something which can be validated, she says. Yet, she stresses, that integrating smallholders does not necessarily make business sense. The investments that are needed for training farmers, conducting quality control, establishing collection points, etc., outweigh financial returns. However, in the long run, the positive social returns make the investments well worth it, she says. And from the academic perspective and the Black Soldier Fly project, Chrysanthus Tanga has few doubts. The creation of innovative value chains that are farmer-centred can have a host of benefits, especially creating wealth and freeing up food for human consumption, previously used for animal feed. However, farmer-centred is key here an emphasis that is confirmed across the synthesis study of the 75 research projects. Safeguarding smallholders against harmful dependencies on volatile markets and more powerful actors is vital. And last but not least, not all smallholders have the same ambitions or capacities. Their diversity must inform policy choices for improving food and nutrition security. You've been listening to the Dangerous Assumptions podcast from the Science for Global Development Division of the Dutch Research Council. My name is Andy Clark and I've been producing the podcast together with Ellen Lammers and Daniela De Vinter from DBM Research. It would be great if you can share the podcast in your network as we'd love to generate discussion. You can learn more about the Food and Business Research Programme at NWO.nl forward slash food and business nwo.nl forward slash food and business and if you want to react to this podcast then send a message to gcp at nwo.nl gcp at nwo.nl thanks for listening